church. Why don't you greet four or five people around you? Tell them that you're glad that they're here tonight. Youth, you can be dismissed to your meeting. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I want to remind, just, just remind you, I don't think I, I need to, but I want to remind you as you're, you're praying to, to continue to lift up uh, the nation of Ukraine, the believers there, uh, the believers in Russia, the believers in Eastern Europe, uh, the people there. Uh, but really, as the church arises, and uh, sometimes, you know, you don't ever see on the news, but statistically, when things like this happen, the church actually is, is mobilized and actually does more than really is ever told. And right now, the churches in Eastern Europe are working together very hard. Uh, again, the, the church in Russia and Ukraine have, uh, before uh, war broke out, they were linked and they were united. And uh, really, there's not physical borders. Sometimes, you know, the devil will try to divide us by physical borders. And thing, well, something that's very important right now is that the believers in Ukraine and Russia are prayed for, that they stay connected because their agreement in prayer will break down more of what's going on than you know. The authority that they have as believers in linking together uh, that this thing be pushed back and stopped um, is very, very important. So keep them lifted up in your prayers and all the people who are helping. Uh, you know, uh, we know Max and Becky Dahmer in, in Romania, but there's also uh, people that we know with connections in Ukraine that are, are helping in Ukraine and just throughout all of those Eastern European countries. And so pray for the church there and uh, keep them lifted up. Uh, so much always, uh, you know, when you watch just stuff going on, uh, the devil's just trying to uh, move before his time. Praise the Lord. He's trying to move before his time. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he wants to try to, put, you know, uh, overcome things. But there's really, as the church arises, darkness will be pushed back. The light will come. Uh, souls will be saved into the kingdom of God. Amen. There'll be a great harvest of the earth, and Jesus will come. And uh, then some things will happen that we read about. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, Psalm 65, uh, 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 this is a year, uh, really, God has crowns this year with his favor, right? His paths drip with abundance, right? So uh, this year, not this first quarter. So often as believers, we start the year, we're like, "Woo, this is a year. And then, you know, about the first quarter, we forget about that. But he said he would crown this year with his goodness. His paths would drip with abundance. The fields would be white to harvest. The flocks would increase and the herds. So that means the church, the sheep, the flocks of God will increase yet more and more. Amen. The harvest will be ripened. So as we increase in the church, the harvest out there is ripe to be reached. And so we need to see, you know what, that's how it, we bring the harvest in. And, you know, supernaturally it changes from harvest to herds because of the precious fruit of the earth. But when they come in, 
they become the flock of God. And so we are growing and we're reaching out and we're seeing that take place. He also said in Psalms 133, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that comes down upon Aaron, ran down through his beard over his whole body, down to his feet. So when we dwell together in unity, there's a corporate anointing. And I just want to remind you, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but you can pray about these things because as God puts them on our heart, he's looking forward to things. And so often, this is not a really a great time to be distracted or just to be moving around but to be joining together and so we see times and and meetings when we're joined together and big things happen and so even you know last week as easter set apart people come with an expectation people come from everywhere but when the church is full and then all of a sudden we we recognize you know that a number of people rededicated their life they were born again children were born again well what happened when we come together there's a corporate anointing that causes increase and so, you know, we think, well, me being there may or may not matter that much. You know, I got things to do, but it matters when we come together because we come together, we worship him, and there's a unity, there's an agreement. Certainly when there's strife and there's division, when there's people who have, you know, just ought against one another, then that, that stops the flow. But when we come together in unity concerning what God has for us, faith in Jesus Christ. There's a corporate anointing. And the corporate anointing is important because whoever's here, it, it's a greater increase of anointing, but also it flows down over the whole body. So you get in that anointing and uh, that anointing comes so that you move out in your week knowing that you are anointed, amen. And so uh, just a couple of things. Then I wanna read this before we receive uh, this evening's tithes and offerings. Alan referred to it, but uh, uh, more than tithes and offerings, I I wanna just call this uh, scripture to attention to what we talked about this morning when he sent his word and healed us. As we embrace his word and its life and health to us, He declared this in Deuteronomy chapter 28. He said, now it shall come to pass if you diligently, somebody say diligently, Diligently. obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commands, which I command you today. In other words, he said, don't just come and listen and walk away and be a forgetful hearer. James said that, listen so that you can obey the word that you're hearing because there's something very important about not just listening and going out and letting your emotions command your life, letting the the circumstance of the day, but the word that you have heard to let that sink in that the spirit of God might make it alive and that is really what is directing and we're obeying that because he says you know just as in James he said you if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer you're just a hearer only then you become deceived thinking you're doing something you're not doing in other words I know that somebody says let's open our Bibles to Mark 11 oh man I know that scripture you know 23 and 24 I know that scripture. Yeah, but if you're not putting that scripture to practice and you think I know that scripture. So there's something about knowing it because you have heard it. There's something about hearing it, right? Hearing it to the point that it becomes something that you act upon, right? So it it goes from head knowledge to experiential knowledge. See, God wants us to not just know things, but he wants us to know things, He wants to experience the life that's in his word. 
right? And so we can't experience the life that's in his word without being a doer of the word. And so doing the word has an outward expression. We think it just comes from, from outside. You know, blessing comes from outside, but really there's something in the New Testament that blessing really begins to generate from the inside out. That's really how it heals our body, restores our mind, sets us in a right place. And so from an Old Testament, he's talking about, you know, the commandments of God and doing them, but it carries over because now we're even more empowered. We live under a new and better covenant. We're not trying to do it in our own strength, but we're empowered by the Spirit of God to obey what Jesus has commanded us to do. And so he says, uh, uh, you know, again, if this is good for the old, we live under a new and better covenant based on better promises. So he says, if you'll learn to just obey what you've heard, he said that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Now you'd think that'd just get a little bit more excitement. Well, I just want, I just need a little blessing. He says, like, I want to bless you and not just come upon you, but the blessing overtake you. Overtake you. He says this, that it would overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. See, sometimes people are like, I don't know why any blessing isn't coming, but then we have ought against someone. We're, we're not giving, we're not loving others, we're not reaching out. But when we begin to do that, we realize, man, the blessing of God is on me, and it's overtaking me. And then we have to be careful that we don't get bored with being blessed. Come on, we think not, but we are a culture given to drama. Right, So we don't have drama happening. We think we're not blessed. But you know, even the children of Israel are so blessed. I mean, their, their crops just produced. They were in a fruitful land. It was all that. And they looked out at the world, and the world had all kinds of drama and all kinds of stuff. And they thought, are we missing out on something? You got to watch out for that FOMO. Come on. Fear of missing out. Come on. We're not missing out. If we have the life of God, but we start looking and going, man, I'm just blessed. You know, I haven't been sick for a while. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm paying my bills. Things are going well. Uh, man, I need something in my life. Well, you're blessed. Well, all these other people, they got problems. They got stuff going on. They need prayer all the time. They need that. I need something in my life that somebody could pray about. Listen, if you're blessed and you get to be the prayer instead of the prayee, That means blessing is overtaking you. That's a good thing. But when blessing overtakes you, sometimes you don't realize, like, I'm blessed, man. Life is kind of boring. I'm, I'm just blessed. But then once it gets so boring that you're blessed, you realize, oh, I don't have to be boring. I can start taking my blessing and be a blessing. Which is what God wants. All right. Praise the Lord. This isn't the message, so I better get moving. Uh, come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now listen to this. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. So you can't make an excuse for where you live. <laughs> Blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks. You're like, well, I don't know that any of that applies to me. Listen, man, you got all kinds of stuff that he wants to bless. Doesn't matter if you're a farmer or you're not. He goes on to say this, blessed shall you be in your basket and in your kneading bowl. In other words, the, 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 the food, the sustenance that you have. Verse six, blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. 
Some people say, you know what? I woke up this morning, I was blessed, but when I went to sleep, it was a bad day. No, you'll be blessed coming into every day. You'll be blessed going out of every day. You'll be blessed coming in. Where you go into a place, you'll be blessed going out of a place. Amen. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come up against you one way and flee seven. See, so often we don't even get to see them flee seven because we fall apart when they come one way. We're like, why is this happening to me, God? Why is this happening? It said the enemy would come, but just hang on because they might have come in one way. But as we obey God, they'll scatter. Come on. It's the blessing of God. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all that you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Come on now, God's given us this land. Some people are checking out on the land. They said, listen, right here in this land that I've given you, doesn't matter what you think is going on around you, I've commanded blessing on you in this land. If you know and declare this is the land I'm giving you, I'm going to bless you in this land. Amen. Come on. No reason to leave to another land. The Lord, the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. We are Christians called by the name of Jesus. Amen. And they shall be afraid of you. Come on. If we walk in that, people will go, wait, wait, you got to stop them. Time to cancel. But it's only because they're afraid. 11. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasures, the heavens, to give the rain to you in its season, and to bless all the work of your hands. You shall lend to many nations, and you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, you are above only and not beneath. Come on, when you feel like you're just barely keeping your head above water, you're not going under, God's put you to go over. Come on, you're not the tail wagging the dog, you're the head. You're not the tail. You're above and not beneath. He says above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you uh, this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods and to serve them. And he goes on to talk about some things that will happen if you don't obey. But he says, listen, if you just take this word and you begin to apply this word and you begin to say, yes, God, I believe you. I believe that you are out for my best interest. I believe that when you command me to love you, to love my neighbor as myself, to walk in righteousness and truth and justice, I'll do it every day. When you tell me not to gossip, when you tell me not to backbite, when you tell me to stay out of other people's business, I just believe you have my best interests at heart. Come on, when you tell me to sow, I'll sow. When you tell me to give, I'll give. He says, when we begin to do that, there is blessing 
that comes upon us. Why? Because he sent his word, these commandments, to bring healing and restoration and wholeness into our whole life. Amen? So he says it over and over and over again. We touched on it this morning, but again, this just seems like if we could get this down in our hearts. So every day when we wake up and the enemy comes and says, you know what, don't you want to do something different today? Oh, that person did that. You don't want to forgive them today. We recognize that's a strategy of the enemy. And we say, no, I want to do the will of God. I want to do exactly what God's called me to do. I want to be everything that God created me to be. I want to have everything that the blood of Jesus purchased for me to have. That's what I want. Because the enemy's coming to say, nah, come on, you want to. Come on, you want to do a few things. You want to. And he wants to draw you under the feeling that you're under the law, right? That I have to do something, but I don't really want to. And that puts you in a bad place. But when you say, no, I want to do what God has told me to do, what he's given me to do, what he's put in my hands to do, I want to do that. Man, everything changes because your want to changes. And I don't believe you're here on a Sunday night because you just have to. Because if people had to be here on Sunday night, it would be a lot fuller, right? But you have a want to serve God. So don't let the enemy rob you of that and get inroads into your thinking, into your emotions, uh, into your heart, right? Into your decision-making, into your want to. Keep him out just by saying, you know what? I'm gonna take God's word and I'm gonna let it get planted and start to produce more than it's ever produced before in my life so that I can be right on the front edge of doing what God has for me to do right here in the land that he has given to us. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. If you weren't here this morning, weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, we want to uh, give you an opportunity to give. If you're making out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. If you're giving by cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. We are so thankful for your generosity and your giving. Uh, praise the Lord. Things are happening all over the world, and uh, you have a part in that. Honestly, you do uh, with what God is doing uh, throughout the world because of your sowing. And so we command the blessings of the Word of God upon you that this will be the best year that you've ever had, that God is crowned this year with his abundance, and you are crowned in that place uh, because he is Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. We ready, Father? We just thank you for every opportunity we have to give. I thank you, Father, that you supply every need here according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and pass the buckets. Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews, the fifth chapter. We have been in the book of Romans, and we'll pick up there uh, in Romans chapter 8, if you know me, uh, to take a break at Romans chapter 8. It's really not, wouldn't be my desire. You know, you're not supposed to have a favorite verse or chapter, but Romans 8 is my favorite, although it's not because you're not supposed to have a favorite. But uh, if I was to have a favorite, I think it would be Romans, the eighth chapter. Uh, so, but uh, in talking about foundations this morning, we took a, a little bit of a side journey there. And so we want to continue in our series here uh, and bring this about. So we're talking about these foundations here that are listed in Hebrews. We'll start in verse five. It says, uh, verse 12 of chapter five, it says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. 
But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. As we apply the word, our senses, our, there's just a knowing, there's a sensing in our, in our feelings and our emotions. So often that we're governed by our feelings and our emotions, but they're really our senses, our, our sense, our taste, our touch, our smell, what we put our hand to begins to know, listen, this is not good for me to be doing. This is evil. I talked to somebody this morning out on the front walk and, and we were just talking about uh, what God is doing in their life right now. And she said, I never, I really never thought this was possible uh, as I was going through life and the trouble that I had. But she said, man, God is moving in my life that I could sit down and things I used to just watch I start watching it and all of a sudden it comes why am I watching this this really has no value to me at all and and she turns it off because she says I can see how the things that I was taking in the things that I was doing was adding to she said I realized I had a relationship and all that relationship was built around something totally carnal and, and, and it drew me into the difficulties and the problems that I had and she said I didn't realize that until all of a sudden you know I was spending time with this person and they wanted to just it was the same old and my life has changed and I sensed right there the Holy Spirit was teaching me that this relationship was just around this and if I was going to keep this the relationship was going to have to change in its formation rather than just going along with it and then saying, man, my life is a mess. Just teach me something else. Just give me some more. That's just milk. He said, but the, the solid food is when we realize that I'm actually putting this to practice and now I recognize in my senses, this is not good. This is not good. This is good. This is where we should be. And so he says, to get to this point, he says, therefore, leaving the discussions of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. He said, don't, don't lay again the foundation. He said, we need to move on. We need to take the first principles and get those solid on the ground of our life so that we can build a life that really lasts, a life that is productive, not that we're recycling all the time, but we know what we're doing and we know how we're building this life that God has called us to build. And there is no other foundation except for Christ. Paul said that to the church at Corinthians. He said, listen, we've laid a good foundation, and there is no other foundation to lay but Christ. And so these are the first principles of Christ. And so there's no other foundation. And Paul said, and we build upon that. And everyone who builds upon this foundation, he said, be careful how you build on it. Be careful how you build on it. And he goes really on to that and he connects, when Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, he connects the last of these elementary principles with building upon it. Because he said, listen, when you build upon it, at some place, how you build is going to be judged or how you build is going to be determined whether you built with precious stone, something that will last, or whether you built with wood, hay, and stubble, because there will be storms in your life. There will be things that come, and if your life remains standing, you built with something that would withstand trouble. But if not, you didn't build with that which would withstand trouble. You're not on a good foundation. Jesus said, if you'll hear my word and do my word, there it is again. How many times do we have to hear? This isn't just about coming and listening. This is about taking it, letting it set in, and letting it become a response of my life that the Spirit of God will take it and translate it into day-to-day -day life for me. So it's not something I'm trying to do. It's something that I am living. So he said, if you would hear my word and do it, you'd be like a person 
who built his house on a rock. When hurricane winds and storms blew, that house did not blow down. But somebody who just hears the word but won't do it is on unstable foundation. So when the winds come and the storms blow, it blows their life or what they built down. And so he said, these elementary principles that we've talked about, they really are building blocks. They're setting a cornerstone. Jesus is that place. And we lay those. Then as we begin to build, we know what we're building upon. And so in that building upon, we recognize and we realize that if we've repented from dead works and we're building a life from that, then when we start to go our own way and come up with our own opinions and, and we're going to do our thing and we're going to present what we've done to God rather than taking what he's called us to do. So often we want to say, God, look what I've done. Will you bless it? And he says, listen, if you would have just done what I called you to do, it was already blessed. When we realize we're going this direction, we have to stop and say, what am I doing? I repent. I'm not just sorry I, I went off. I'm not sorry I built on this foundation with bad material. I remember how I got to building this life. And so I turn from my ways to build this life, to build this house just like God wants me to do. And he says, when we do that, so often we leave our own way and we don't know what we will do with our life if we don't do that. If we don't worry, if we don't live on our own merit and look what I have done, we don't know what we'll do. But the answer is in this, when we turn from what we've done and we turn to him and we have faith in him and we trust in him, we make Jesus the Lord of our life, then he says, I'll take you and I'll, I'll immerse you, I'll baptize you into myself. And once I baptize you into the Holy Spirit, baptizes us into Christ, he said, then I'll bring and baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So now you have power and you have understanding. And the, the idea of raised from the dead in the newness of life through water baptism, that we have a new life to live because we're now the resurrection from the dead is a foundational doctrine that he raised and we raised with him. And there will be a great resurrection at the end when Jesus comes and the dead in Christ will rise first. When we believe all that, we believe that there's eternal life. We're not just living for today and then going to die and lay in the ground, but there's eternal life to be lived. When we start to think about this eternal life that needs to be lived, it's not just for us. We didn't get immersed into Christ for a newness of life and then baptized in the Holy Spirit endued with power just for us. Thank God we have power to live life and to overcome sin and the temptation that's there. Thank God for that power to live in that way. But he's also endued us with power to be witnesses of him wherever we go. And not just witnesses in word, but witnesses in evidence. And so when we begin to recognize and realize that this whole progression comes to a point of, man, we have this resurrection from the dead. We have this newness of life. And to this point, we're like, these are, these are solid things, man. Repentance and faith in God and baptisms and resurrection. That's awesome. And then we get to laying on of hands and we're like, hmm, hmm. But I don't believe God went, man, I got these powerful things and man, I just lost track of I'm sure I need six to make that number work. And so, um, all right, let's just throw in laying of hands. But sometimes we don't even understand that. But if we see that repentance is important, that faith in God is important, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being immersed into Christ is important. If we see how important the resurrection uh, uh, life is and, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the end resurrection of the dead to eternal life, 
If we believe that's important, right in there is the laying on of hands. And so often we grew up in church and we never, you know, unless you grew up in a Pentecostal full gospel church, you never saw anybody lay hands on people. Man, for the longest period of time, and really until I was in high school, I never saw such a thing. Went to church all my life, never saw such a thing. And then I got involved in full gospel church and started calling people up. And I mean, right off the bat, just when I started to step into that, it's really from my time of saying, you know what, God's called me to something bigger than just going to heaven. This one part, I learned right off the bat that Jesus commissioned us to lay hands on the sick and the sick would recover. Since that day, I've never really thought, hmm, laying on of hands. No, it was something that was given to me at that point in my life. I don't know why I didn't see it before, why people didn't talk about it before, but from that moment, I really started to understand this is something that's fundamental. It's foundational in the church. And it's very, very powerful. And if we begin to understand really this doctrine, it's a teaching of laying on of hands. And it's not something that's just charismatic. It's something that when we realize that we have been filled with the fullness of God, that we are containers and we are carrying with us the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that hovered over the face of the deep, the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. That life-giving resurrection power lives in us, this container, and he's called us and commissioned us to go out, so somehow the power in here has to get out. <laughs> so God said there's a way, right, for it to get out. And there's more than one way, but this is a way. And something that we have to understand as believers and begin to gain a great confidence in because everything really in the kingdom of God operates by faith, right? It operates by faith. And so Paul said this in, in, in Romans chapter one, verse six. He said, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it contains within itself the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then for the Greek, right? He said, I'm not ashamed. In other words, I'm bold to proclaim the gospel. I'm not looking to say, after I preach to you, do you immediately get saved and make me feel good about what I've said to you? Paul did not say that. But we have a lack of confidence in the word, the power that's in the word of God. So our lack of confidence keeps us from sharing it with people. Why? Because we're afraid of how they might respond to us. But God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So something that contains life and power is the word of God. But somebody has to have confidence to speak it. Somebody has to have confidence to plant it, yeah. right? And so he said, who's going to do that? My church. Come on, church. Now is not the time to be timid. Now is the time to say, listen, I have the word of God in my heart. 
And it's not just hidden there, it's bringing revelation. And the revelation and the understanding is that if I share the word, I don't have to wait for a response, I share it out of love and God will cause that word to go and do what it's supposed to do. That his word won't return to him void, but it will accomplish what he set forth for it to do. So if he can get a delivery person, right? We get so concerned about, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just giving the message. No, but we have the love of God. And we know the message is something that brings salvation. And so he said, you have a ministry. So often we're like, what's my position in ministry? What's my ministry? I'm an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. But before any of that, we all have the ministry of reconciliation. That is to tell people the gospel of what Jesus has done for them, that he's not holding their sin against them, but he sent Jesus to die for them. And if we just get that out, it has power within itself. We don't have to make it work. We just present it and know when we walk away, it's working. Statistics are like something like people have to hear seven times. I don't necessarily believe they have to hear seven times. And it was probably the first delivery of the word that started working in them. But listen, he said, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. So if we just have a confidence of the power that's in the word. And then this laying on of hands, it's it's really uh, an aspect of contact and transmission. That if we're full of the power of God, we're full of the life of God, somehow it's got to get out. And so when we have confidence, well, what if I lay hands on them and nothing happens? Well, see, we all get, concentrated, we get too concentrated about what if I do and I'm not rewarded for it? Instead of, man, I'll just obey God and leave it to you. Immediately, we pull that back from God's operation to how's it going to reflect on me? Are people going to notice that I really have healing power? Do I get to start a ministry out of this? What, instead of like, man, God just loves people, and I am carrying his victory. I'm full of his power, and when he calls me to, I release it. Praise the Lord. So turn over with me to Romans chapter 6 for just a moment. All right, I need to really, really, really get moving. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. We're jumping in, in the middle of this. I trust that many of you know this. If not, read this whole scripture. It's about being raised up again with Christ. But he says this, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present your members as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So here he may be talking about our whole body, but just understand this, that parts of your body, your hands are instruments in God's hands. That they are instruments to bring forth righteousness. Your hands are instruments that you can either use them for good or you can use them for unrighteousness. But if we start to look and say, wow, these are instruments. This is something that God created me to have, that they're an instrument in his hand. And once we start to see that and understand, listen, these things, you know, they could punch you in the face or they could reach out and be his hands full of his power. Come on. 
And so let's just look at this just for a moment. Really, the number one thing when you look at and begin to look at the laying on of hands, it's not super positive, but the laying on of hands, I mean, it started way back in Leviticus. Uh, the laying on of hands, the priest would go through the whole sacrifice process for mankind, would, would take upon himself, uh, you know, get all the blood, go into the Holy of Holies. Then he would come out and he would lay his hands on the scapegoat, which means he was transferring all of the sin of Israel from the sacrifice onto the scapegoat, and then they would loose the scapegoat out into the wilderness, away from the camp. All of their sin then was taken out of the camp by the scapegoat. So there was a transfer. In type and shadow, there was a transfer, really literally from God's perspective, all the sacrifice that was offered for the sin of Israel came down the priest offered all that and then he took all that sin and he laid hands on the scapegoat and the scapegoat went outside of the camp and took all the sin away so there was something powerful the priest the high priest had to lay hands on the scapegoat to send it out of the camp for the camp to be free from sin so then we begin to see and understand that the laying on of hands, one of the aspects of laying on of hands from Old to New Testament is for impartation, really, of leadership and an anointing that comes upon someone that is handed down to others. It's very important to understand, and we'll look at it a little bit, but uh, to understand, you know what, I just, I have a position, sometimes we're like, man, I just want a double portion of anointing. I want, I want a double portion like Elisha had. Just somebody give me a double portion, but you have to understand that there's importance to this laying on of hands. There's an importance of how you view those things, but also that this transfer of things that God has put in someone's life can be transferred through the laying on of hands. And so uh, in Numbers chapter 27, verse 18, it says, and the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom, there, whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him, and set him before Eleazar the priest and before the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. He didn't just say, stand him up there and tell people. He said, you lay your hands on him and set him in a position and Deuteronomy records this in verse, uh, chapter 34, verse 9. It says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So something supernatural happened when he laid his hands on him. The wisdom that God had given Moses was transferred into Joshua's life. Not just because he said, now I'm giving you this position. You hung around long enough. I'm giving this to you. He was faithful. He followed Moses. He watched Moses' ways. But Moses, something happened when Moses laid his hands on him. There was an impartation of the wisdom to lead that nation that was upon Moses that was transferred to Joshua through the laying on of hands. He said, well, that was old covenant. Well, I'm glad that you said that. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 13. It says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things and give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 6. 
Again, this was important enough as Timothy was pastoring this church, leading this church at Ephesus that Paul had really ordained for him and and set out for him to plant. It was important enough that when he wrote him letters to explain to him something that happened in Timothy's life, that he would be aware of it, that he would nurture it, that he would grow in it. And so he says this, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So now listen, God gives gifts, no man can do that. Well, I understand God gives gifts, but right here we see that something was imparted from the Apostle Paul into Timothy. There was a leadership that was given to Paul to establish, to apostle, to be the apostle of that church. But when he laid hands on Timothy, something from him was imparted to Timothy to pastor and to lead that church. So in the laying on of hands, there is an impartation, really, of of anointing to lead. And, you know, sometimes we're just looking for somebody to lay hands on me so I can lead. But if you're not following that course, if it's not somebody like that, that you've followed, you need to watch how God has set up and positioned you and where that anointing is coming from because the laying on of hands is incredibly important in those things. Another thing that we see throughout the scripture is that that blessing that is upon uh, people. So uh, Isaac, he called in Jacob and he blessed him and he laid his hands on him and the right, the birthright, the right of blessing, Jacob deceived him. But when his hands were laid upon him and he blessed him, it was not something that he could take back. Esau couldn't get it if he wanted it. Why? Because it was imparted through that laying on of hands. And then he, Jacob, after he was called Israel, he had Joseph. Joseph bring in Ephraim and Manasseh and he laid his hands on him and what was being imparted uh, to him was so important that Joseph said wait a minute wait a minute you're doing this all wrong the eldest should be at your right hand and the left hand and Israel said don't tell me what to do (laughs) I'm paraphrasing he said I know what I'm doing the younger will do these things not the older So in his laying on of hands, there was special anointing that was being imparted. Special blessing was being passed down through the laying on of his hands. He didn't just say, well, you guys are going to go out, you know, you youngers, and I'm just going to bless you, and things are going to be great. No, he called all of his sons in, and he said, here's what's going to happen to you. You got some good things that are going to happen. You got some bad things that are going to happen. But based on the blessing of God, you all are blessed. But these two, he laid hands on them to impart blessing. Amen. And so let's look at the, the ministry of Jesus real quick. And again, you can look through, through the scriptures. We're just going to hit, we're hitting the highlights here. We're, we're moving a little bit faster than we should. But um, look at this in Mark chapter 6 and verse 5. You know the scripture, Jesus went to preach and they're like, wow, he's really something. And then, then they start re- remembering and thinking, you know what? Didn't he hang out with our kids? Didn't he grow up in this community? Uh, who does he think he is? And it says, all of a sudden, when they got familiar with him, they were in awe. They were like, man, this guy's speaking with power. And then they said, well, what power does he have? He grew up with our kids. Who does he think he is? It said, there he could do no mighty work, right? Here in verse 5, it says, now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. A few sick people and he healed him. I've heard it taught a number of different times that he just laid his hands on a few people with a few minor ailments. Well, actually, I was reading something deeper, and when it's uh, talking about this, he said he went to the, the only thing he could do is some people who were literally so sick that they were in a coma, 
so their doubt and unbelief couldn't even be activated. (laughs) He laid hands on them and healed them. Right? So in a place where there's total unbelief, he can still see healing. He couldn't do mighty works because their faith got built up by receiving what he said, but he could still lay hands on them and transfer power that was in him to them. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, it says, Now when Jesus had come, to, come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and served them. It says Jesus reached out and touched her hand. He laid his hand on her hand, and power was transmitted. She got up, the fever broke. Mark chapter 1, verse 41 says, Then Jesus was moved with compassion, and he stretched out his hand, and he touched him and said, I am willing, be thou cleansed. The leper came to him and said, I don't even know if you're willing to heal me. And Jesus said, listen, I am willing. He was so moved with compassion. I believe that he was moved with compassion because, you know, in that place, you've heard me say this before, but, you know, as a dad, if, you know, I can't, I can't do everything that God would do necessarily for my kids, but if they came up and said, you know, I, I know you can do this, but I just don't know if you want to. I mean, that's heartbreaking. When you have stuff in your kids like, I know you can, I just don't know if you want to do that. I believe when he... When Jesus heard that, he said, man, that's heartbreaking. Because if you know I can, but you don't know if I want to, so I'm going to show you that I want to. And he reached out and he laid his hands on him, and he was healed of his leprosy. And he said, I am willing. But he didn't just say, I'm willing, and he was healed. He laid his hands on him, and then he was made whole. Matthew chapter 9, verse 28, it says, when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. Now, there was times when Jesus spoke a word. He spoke to the centurion. He spoke a word. There's power in the word. But now listen, if he could have spoke the word every time, then why didn't he just speak the word? I believe he was telling us because he was about to commission his disciples and commission us that there is a place that you are containers and you are carriers of the victory of Jesus Christ. You're carriers of the anointing of the spirit of the living God. And there is a point of of contact and transmission. There are things where people won't have ears to hear what you're saying, but you can transmit the power and the anointing through the laying on of hands. So he's saying you could speak the word. That's one way, speak the word. And when they receive that word, it penetrates and brings healing. But you're gonna run into people in the world that don't know the word. They don't believe the word. They're they're not trusting in God. They don't have very much faith at all in it. But we believe, and so we know that we're carriers of that victory and that life, and we lay hands on them knowing that it's a point of contact and transmission because our hands are instruments of God for righteousness. And so Jesus himself could have just spoken the word. But when they discounted his word, when they said, who is this to speak the word? He said, well, I'll do some work here, not by my word, but through the laying on of hands, through that transmission of power. So as we move to the book of Acts, because sometimes people will say, well, that was Jesus, right? But in Acts, 
Uh, again, it's all intermingled here because they're, they're dispatching the power of laying on of hands and they're, they're ordaining people. They're sending people out. They're healing people. I mean, all this, and they're not just neglecting. They're not just doing it. They're laying hands on people. Acts chapter 6, verse uh, 3 says this, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we shall appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Then they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, of whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, laid hands on them. Right? So we see people full of the Holy Spirit. That was part of their, their deal. But they said, we are going to set you in place, and we're going to take part of what is on us Right As we're fulfilling what God called us to do, we're going to take part of what God has put on us and we're going to transfer that to you, putting them in position. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. Now here they ordained them and laid hands on them, equipping them for the work that was ahead of them. They could have just prayed and said, Be on your way, but there was something about laying hands on them. Praise the Lord. As they went out, you know, and, and Philip went to Samaria and Christ was preached there when they heard that there was such salvation throughout the city of Samaria. Peter and John went down to Samaria uh, to cause them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he, they laid hands on them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was so tangible that Simon, the sorcerer, he said, listen, man, I saw that when you laid hands on them that the power of the Holy Spirit came. Can I pay you? I mean, there was something so tangible when they laid hands on people of that transfer of that anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit that he saw that and he said, man, for my, uh, what I do, if I had that much power, that would be awesome. Can I pay you to get that? And they said, you don't even know what you're talking about. You can't pay money to get this. This is from God. But the laying on of hands was so powerful that it was noticeable to someone around that said, boy, I would like that in my life to the extent that they were willing to pay for it. That's pretty crazy when you think about it. Acts chapter 5. Some things had just happened in the church. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira had just lied to the Holy Spirit and fall dead. Praise God. I mean, that just freaks us out, doesn't it? But I believe we need to get ready. I believe we need to get ready for an outpouring of the Spirit of God. That God begins to deal with our heart in such a way that we have to stop saying we did when we didn't. Come on, they said they sold land, but there's a lot of times we say we did something we didn't to be impressive. And there's coming such a, an air and the power of the Holy Spirit that... Uh, Anyway, that's not our subject. (laughs) 
come on, there's a reverence and respect. And they, they thought, you know what? Man, Barnabas got such, uh, man, people really appreciated him when he sold his property and brought that and brought that money and to help people and to do all that. So let's sell our land. We got some land, let's sell it. And then they sold it and went, man, this is a lot of money. I don't think we should give this all to the church. Let's keep some back. But we still want people to think we did what Barnabas did. So let's just bring it. And Peter just said, is this it? He said, oh, this is it. This is all of it. And he's like, why did you do that? He said, while the money was there, you could have come and said, man, we sold our, our property, and uh, we wanted to bring half of that. We wanted to bring three-quarters of that. Just wanted to be a blessing, but, you know, it was our property, and we just felt like we, we could keep some, but we wanted to be a blessing. He said, if you had just done that, that would have been admirable. That would have been awesome. Why do you have to, he said, you think you're lying to me, Peter, but you're lying to the Holy Ghost. And boom. Say the Holy Ghost going around killing people? No, when the presence of God is that tangible. Come on, we're like, I want to move with the Spirit of God. Well, you know, we need to get to that point of repentance from dead works. And we would think, man, if that happened now, people would people would just leave the church by the drove. Listen, it happened there, and people were drawn to the church. The church grew. It became an awe and a reverence. The power of God was that great. And then, you know, Sapphira came in. He said, uh, just want to ask you a question. I mean, I'm wondering, like, there had just been a commotion. Uh, husband had just died. I wonder what even the church, you know, you got to think about where, where they were all at. I mean, they just went out and took him out to bury him. Here she comes, like, Where's Ananias? Anybody get our offering? How was that? Oh, yeah, your offering. Was that the whole thing? Sure was. Man, I'll tell you what, there's no way to get the youth group committed to God than to have them go out and bury people who lied to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Right? So they had the youth group. They said the young men took them out and buried them. It's like, young men, see this? Don't want to be lying to the Holy Ghost. Anyway, there's a move of God on. And, uh, yeah, when, and how many of you are expecting an outpouring of the Spirit of God? Come on, it, it really, I'm trying to get through this because this is where we're going with this. As man, when the, if we're desiring a move of the Spirit of God, if we really believe that we're carriers of the life and the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we really believe that the Word of God is true and it's alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword then there's a reverence and a respect of this awesome power that we are containers of. That there is explosive, miracle-working power on the inside of you just waiting to be released. (laughs) But listen, if if you don't have that power in the right form, and it gets released, it's explosive power. It's explosive power. And so as we say, man, we want the power of God, we want uh, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, then there's a place where we start coming and we start laying down some things that have easily beset us. We start laying down some of the things that would hinder us. We start laying down those things that clog up our emotions and clog up our mindset, those things that hinder us and beset us, those offenses and those weights and those concerns and those ideologies that go away from God and say, let's just clean house right now so that we can be ready 
for this poor outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God because if it comes and we're not ready, we're going to see some things happen that we didn't expect. But if we're ready, then everything that God said that it would be and everything that God promised that it would be, it will be. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. And so right after all this happened, it said, and through the hands of the apostles, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders. Again, there's that transfer, that point of contact and transmission. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 20, it said, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. When God says, that, that, that really, let's prepare our hearts. Let's clean house because his power, he wants to fill us and he wants us to be vessels ready for every good work. He wants us to be vessels and containers that when we stretch forth our hand, we're stretching forth his hand. And as in Acts, uh, the fourth chapter, when they prayed, they said, behold their threats and grant unto us boldness to speak your word that stretching forth your hand, signs and wonders might be done in the name of the holy child, Jesus. You know, there's that, that place of transfer of anointing and really, in one place, you know, if you've read the Bible, you may think, what, what about this place? You know, Paul told Timothy, he said, uh, lay hands on no man suddenly. Lay hands on no man suddenly. And I believe that Paul is going back, and because this was a fundamental doctrine of the church, and, and, and Timothy had watched that, there's, there's different thoughts on this in different ways if you study it. But number one is really he said, you know, and he, and he instructed him. He said, don't put a novice in office. In other words, don't put a, a beginner, don't establish a beginner in ministry in office, but let them prove themselves, let them be tested before you put that, lest they be lifted up in pride and fall into the same temptation as the enemy. So he said, don't, don't just because somebody wants to or they think they have a gift, don't go ahead and lay hands on them and take some of what is you, uh, in you and put it on them as a novice. It says, don't, don't just be quick about this because it's important to do. Another aspect of it was, was that in the tradition of the day, when a sinner had been away and they repented, they would come back and they said they'd repented. And Paul told him, he said, uh, don't just quickly receive and lay hands on somebody and say that they're, they're repentance. And so we receive them back in because if they haven't really uh, repented, then you have put a mark on them as a leader to say what they're doing is good. It's okay. We receive it. And we basically receive them back in through that laying on of hands. We put that on them. He said, don't be quick to do that as they've proven and walked out their life and haven't turned back to sin then as they've done that, then lay your hands on them. Why? Because you're imparting a place of leadership and power. And then one other part is really, uh, again, uh, one translation says, don't be quick to lay hands on them and partake of another person's sin. As we're stretching out 
our hands, again, you understand that what's in you is what, you know, uh, I think Brother Hagin used to say this sometimes. Uh, I heard some ministers say it. Be careful not to lay empty hands on empty heads. <laughs> Come on. Sometimes we just like to go around doing that, but we're not being productive. And really, we're just praying for people over and over. But we want to understand the power of that transmission of laying on of hands so that we begin to understand and look and say this is a point of contact and transmission. So again, there's different places where, where uh, uh, again, we, we may not fully understand it, but just to think about it. So, you know, if I'm gonna pray, you know, there's a prayer line, come on up here. Just, um, and so he's up and he's like, man, I've been believing God and I just, you know, I want you to lay hands on me. And I know, you know, so I lay hands on him and I, I, man, the power of God goes into him. He says, I've been believing God. Well, you know, if he has 90% faith and I lay hands on him, it's just like, boom, contact and transmission. I release the other 10%, boom, right? You can be seated. Uh, somebody has 50% faith, somebody, but you know, when we're going out into the world, they don't have any faith. And so we have to understand that we're containers of this victory and this power. And so it's different when we're amongst believers who are, who are moving and, and navigating their life, trying to get in and out of things and just kind of slip by that we're like, oh, just let me lay hands on you. And somebody who's in the world that we're like, man, when I lay hands on you, something's going to happen. Because I'm going to release something that you've not had before. I'm going to release the power of God, the resurrection of life and power of God that's going to come in to bring healing or deliverance or freedom or liberty into your life and begin to see something powerful take place in our sphere of influence because we are containers of the life of God. And when we begin to pray for people, and again, I don't want people, well, I shouldn't lay hands on when we begin to see and understand what God has commissioned us to do and where we are and why we are where we are, and you understand the power of laying on of hands, and there's, you know, again, we can get too technical about it or whatever, but I like what one person said. You know what? It doesn't say that you have to really lay hands on people and make a big deal about it. That when you're a container and you just lay hands on somebody and you know what's happening. So there are people at work that you can lay hands on knowing that they have trouble and just put your hands on them and you can believe God. You don't have to have a big you know, display at work. You're just saying, you know what? I'm praying for you that things turn out. You don't have to say, now I'm gonna lay hands on you right now. When I lay hands on you right now, <laughs> big things are gonna happen right now. If that place, they say, well, what's this? I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for you and I believe that God's gonna do something in your life as I lay hands on you, then you create an expectancy. But sometimes you just need to know that, that I'm a carrier of the victory of Jesus. I'm a carrier of the anointing of God. I'm a carrier. And as I really begin to walk in the truth of God's word and declare the truth of God's word, then he has commissioned me. God has commissioned you if you're going to follow him and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. He said these signs will follow them that believe. And one of those signs is they will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Yes. What if I lay hands on them and they don't recover? We already have an issue, don't we? Right. Well, it must be with them. What if they don't believe? Well, you're going to go to a lot of people that don't believe, who are sick, that need the power of God. He said, if you believe. So we have to have that confidence that when we lay hands on the sick, the sick will recover. Amen. Amen. Not what if they don't recover, what will they think of me if they don't recover? What if they get 
Hope? Oh my gosh. What if they get hope? <laughs> Come on. That's always boggled my mind just a little bit. I know this because, you know, I've been in hospital rooms. I've been everywhere. There's atmospheres that you're like, wow, there's a lot against this moving forward right now. So you can feel just that intimidation of the enemy. But people say, don't pray for them right now. Don't get their hopes up. What if you get their hopes up and they die? Well, they're dying anyway. What they're really saying is we're all standing around. Don't get our hopes up because we're not really believing. But the person you're going to lay hands on, they could maybe use a little hope. Well, what if, I give, what, if I, what if I pray and they die? Well, if they were dying anyway, what are you worried about? What if you lay hands on them and they live? Come on. Sometimes we're asking the wrong questions. What if they don't? Well, what if they do? Once we get beyond the what if, since I'm a carrier of the life of God, when I lay hands on them, because of the point of contact and transmission, what's in me will be released into them. Amen. Come on. Does the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead live in you? Amen. Does the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead live in you? Then if it's a point of contract and tra- contact and transmission that what's in me can be released through the laying on of hands and what's in me is the life, the resurrection life of God, then when I lay hands on them, what's in me is transferred out from me. Amen. If God has anointed me for an office and somebody's going to take a part of that leadership, then there's something released in that wisdom and that leadership and that anointing to lead that can be put on them. There's something powerful that what's in you can be transmitted. That's why we have to be careful what we let in us. Come on, we understand the importance of laying on of hands and that we should be laying on of hands. We watch what comes in us so we don't transfer something that shouldn't be in us out. So in the midst of a move of the Spirit of God, an outpouring of the Spirit of God, like the world has never seen before, an outpouring that is a combination of the early and the latter rain, an outpouring where God has said it will come down and the church will arise and the church will shine with the light of Jesus Christ and from their hands will flow like liquid light. And where there's ditch diggers and water washers and washerwomen, and they'll lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. It's been prophesied of the church in the last days. And an important part of that is in your hands is the life of God. And getting your hands on somebody that doesn't have the life of God and imparting that very life to them is an important elementary doctrine of Jesus Christ. Come on. It's not something odd. I know that repentance. I know that baptism. I know faith in God. Come on, he put it right up there with all those things. Lay hands on people because if you've repented and you have faith in God and you've been baptized into Christ and you've baptized with the Holy Spirit and you believe in the new life and the resurrection of the dead, then you have been equipped for something beyond you. It's the power of God. Not just to overcome, but to give out. 
So we have boldness to go out and know the words that I speak have power. When I speak that word with power, and then I lay hands on somebody, he said in Mark 16, when he commissioned us, he said, you'll cast out devils, you'll heal, uh, 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 declare the word of God, drink any deadly thing, it'll not hurt you. Lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. And it said they went out and they preached the word and he confirmed that word with signs following. Amen. Come on, the church, it's time to go out and proclaim the word. There's an anointing coming by the spirit of God. And again, I know we get this off and there's different aspects. We don't have time. In fact, I'm over time tonight to really go into it. <clears throat> but she said I could talk about that one thing for a little extra time. And so I took that time by her permission. And so <laughs> thank you for that. Um, <laughs> praise God. That we're in the place where the, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. He said, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And we, we get really caught up in prophecy, you know. I wanna, I'm going to prophesy to you. Really, in the simple form of that, the anointing comes upon you. You sense the Spirit of God is upon me to proclaim the gospel with anointing. Amen. Then we realize, you know what, I'm here and I'm around these people and I just feel like I should say something. I should tell them something about Jesus or tell them of the goodness of God. That's the Holy Spirit anointing you to proclaim his word under anointing. You're not waking for a hookah shundai or you just know, and you don't have to go, I'm going to foretell your life. I see God saying. You don't even have to say God said. Just obey him by the unction of the Holy Spirit and say, listen, you know what? I have something to tell you. God loves you so much. Now, I don't know what you're dealing with, but he's not holding your sin against you. I don't know what you've been through, but God's not holding any of that against you. In fact, he sent Jesus so none of it would ever be held against you and that you could be reconciled to him in a supernatural way. And when that anointing is upon you, it'll hit them. And they'll start to go, man, I'm a mess. You say, just let me pray for you. And you lay hands on them. And God will start to confirm what he told them with signs if we just walk in the love of God, know the power of the word, the doctrine and the power of laying on of hands, we don't have to get a big spiritual idea of it. We just have to love people and obey God and not be intimidated by the devil. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. Ah, we thank you, Father, for revival. We thank you for revival. Holy Spirit, show us, teach us. We don't get consumed with ourself about revival, but we begin to look unto Jesus. The things that you've commanded us, the things that you've ordained for us to walk in. Holy Spirit, we've gone just so quickly through this. I pray that you'd continue to lead us, to guide us, and to teach us about this important foundational principle of our Christian life. At home, with our children, with one another, we lay hands on them as we pray, knowing that some of the wisdom in us as parents can be imparted to them. The 